Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. No one else can touch my heart like you do. And I can search for all eternity long and find there is none like you. You see, you've still got too much energy left from Christmas, and eating all that food, <laughs> trying to burn it off. All right, as you're taking your seats, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pray so that we can get out of here today. Heavenly Father, thank you very much for the incredible way in which you reveal yourself to us through the Lord Jesus. And you've done it in the person of Christ as he literally walked the streets of of Galilee and throughout all Israel, not just for the the 30 years of his his earthly life as he grew and lived with his parents and related to, to others. Father, the three years of his incredible ministry, which summarized his life, but then his, then his amazing death, his gruesome death. But then three days later, his wonderful resurrection, and then his incredible ascension back to heaven, back to you, Father. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us, particularly through the Lord Jesus. If we want to know what you look like, Father, we can look at the Lord Jesus. But thank you that you also reveal yourself to us through the word of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us through your word, because he's not here literally, although he is here spiritually, but we have, we have your word. Thank you that we have the word that became flesh. And Father, I pray as we interact with your word today, that you'd bring life. Father, that you'd breathe on us. And that, Father, literally we would not be the same people that walked in. Because of the transformation, the transformational work of your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would do that great and wonderful work today for your, not even, not even for us, Lord, but for your own name's sake. Do it for Jesus' sake, because of, because of the high price that he paid. We ask that you do it for that reason. And it's in his name and for his fame we pray. Amen. Amen. Our title for our message today is The Hope of Change. And hopefully that's a, hopefully, hopefully that's an optimistic title for our message. And we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, pretty much the whole chapter and a little bit of chapter 4. So I'm going to ask you to turn there as I get ready to read from the ESV. The hope of change. Paul says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? 
Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the spirit have even more glory for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Chapter 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, they say that there's only 
one constant in life. That is to say that one of the only things in life that you can quite confidently expect is what? Change. Change. Right? One of the constants in life. How many of you know you probably ain't going to fit into your wedding suit in your middle age? I mean, unless you got married a, a year or two before you were 40, right? As for the ladies, you're, po- you're possibly... Leave it. Leave it. All right, then. Now, stick with the men. You probably will have to start shaving your head if you're a man. Because of the disappearing <laughs> hairline, right? Like me. Unless you're past the P. Where's Pastor Pete? He was just up here helping me. Must, all of us on the leadership team, me, Pastor E, um, Neil, Mark, even Bertram. Bertram's been challenged. He's fighting it. He's not here. Where is he? He's, he's, in, he's in Florida, isn't he? He's fighting it, but don't worry. He's going to start shaving his head soon. Because <laughs> we're all follically challenged, right? And, but even if you're not losing your hair, Pastor Pete, your hair's turning grey. Change, right? That's why the fastest growing industry is, is in cosmetic surgery. Someone needs to tell people that plastic surgery actually doesn't make things better. Amen? For us as men, it's called a midlife crisis. You know, what we do is change our wardrobe change our car, we get a car that's a little lower, a little bit more sexy, kind of two-door coupe, fast, start exfoliating, start looking for this expensive gym membership. And, and, and the thing I think for us as men, most of our real challenge is, um, it's just really, it's just slower metabolism, isn't it? Um, and I think it's mainly psychological. Ladies, Ladies literally go through a much more substantial physiological change, right? It's called a menopause. I notice I've said nothing humorous or trite about the ladies. And we could talk about many other things that undoubtedly will change, i.e. fashion, language, I mean, technology, always changing, but then there are some other things that seem like no matter how hard we try, they just won't change. And one of those things is our spiritual life. As Christians and also as non-Christians, I think if we're honest, we all want to see change in our lives, don't we? Change. It's the 29th of December. Today, two year, two two days before the end of this old year. Some of you have had a, a fantastic twelve months, <clears throat> generally speaking, and you're really looking forward to 2014. Whereas on the other hand, some of you have had possibly one of the hardest years of your life. And although we technically would have come to the climax of the calendar year, it doesn't mean that you've come to the end of your challenges. 
singing all Lang Syne on New Year's Eve isn't really going to make things better. And my prayer is that God in his amazing grace might grant you some real encouragement today. I'd like for us to talk about the hope of change. And not just changing your circumstances, but changing you and change in me. My prayer is that this message may go some way to informing your New Year's resolution. Now then, to take this to another level, we just finished teaching through which book? First John. And First John did a, a very thorough job of examining a person's life with a fine-tooth comb. I mean, like a forensic scientist, John delved into our lives, right down into our hearts, didn't he? Like with a microscope, testing the profession or testing those who would profess to be Christians. John says, all right, you say you're a Christian? All right, then. Well, let's have a look then. And he did, or God did, through his word. And the test fell into three categories, right? First of all, the theological test, that is, what is it you actually, you actually, not just what you say you believe, what is it you actually believe? And the second test was the moral test in terms of how do you behave? And the third test was a social test. Do you love God's family? Do you love God's children? Do you love the church? Those are the three tests. And the result, the outcome was either failed the test miserably or passed the test. Maybe not with A stars, but and if, and if a person didn't pass the test, it, it, it actually would prove that 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 person wasn't saved, they weren't really converted, they were professing but not possessing eternal life. See it? <clears throat> but when you think about that, it's like, okay, well, where do we go from there? Because how many of you know, we, we can't leave things, you know what I'm saying, okay, well, you've got a batch of people that are not saved and you've got a batch of people that are saved but still needing to change, right? Well, I would say... We need to move on from there, and I'd like to argue from the scriptures that both groups have hope. If you're unsaved, praise the Lord, you can get saved. Change. And if you are saved, you and I should be in a process of progressive change. Either way, in both individuals, there's hope for change. Amen? Now, First and Second Corinthians are books that speak quite loudly when it comes to this issue of change. It talks about changing sexual morality. It talks about changing money management. It talks about changing motivation regarding using gifts, whether natural or spiritual. It talks about change in terms of marriages. First Corinthians seven, right? It talks about changing relationships in general change. In our text today, we hear about two things. We hear about a change in covenants, and then we hear about a change in heart condition. A change in covenants from the old to the what? 
adopted anew and change in heart condition from hard to soft, stone to flesh. Paul the Apostle, who's the human author of this book, right? Yet God is the one by his spirit speaking through the words of Paul. Paul's perspective, although completely consistent with the Old Testament, seems contrary to many of his hearers. Some at this time think that Paul preached a newfangled, erroneous message. A message that focused too heavily on Jesus and an overextended dependence on him. If we could have such a thing. They would agree that Jesus was important, but come on, Paul. Let's not take this thing too far. Let's not neglect Moses, the one who gave us the law and the commandments and circumcision. And furthermore, who is this Paul brother anyway? Where's he from? What are his credentials, they were saying. And Paul says to these Corinthian believers, you know what, in response to that, as ministers, we need no written credentials to affirm our validity. And that's not pride. Paul says, you, Corinthians, who we're writing to, you are our credentials. Why? Because you have changed lives that authenticate our ministry. Your, your changed lives are our certificate on the wall signed with God's signature. In verse 1, 2 Corinthians 3, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on, ta not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Notice, Paul introduces the, the spirit and his work writing God's words. Where? On the hearts, not tables of stone. Verse 4, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Who has made us competent to be ministers of a what? If you've got your Bible open. Of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Paul talks about a new work of the spirit where God's, where God's word is written on the heart, not stone. Can you see the new covenant in verse 6 and it being compared to the old. Therefore, the effective work is, and this is important, the effective work is internal working outwards as opposed to outwards working inwards. In the old covenant, God wrote on tablets of stone, kind of out there, over here. But now, he writes on fleshy tablets of the heart. Can you see the contrast between what was then and, now what, and what is now? Jeremiah chapter 31 promised this in years previous. 
Adam's listening to me so carefully. <laughs> or maybe not. <laughs> Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 is the promise of that which we are now reading about. Behold, notice, the days are what? The days are coming. That's a reference to the future then, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the old, if you like. See the contrast? Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand. As a father, you know. Took them by the hand. I mean, if you know, God has got you if you're his. He's got you by the hand. I know very often when you're walking across the road with your child, you say to your child, hold my hand. Do you really mean that? Do you really mean that? If you're, if you're a good parent, you don't mean that. You say that. We, I say that. But have they got your hand of you, or, or have you got their hand? Come and hold my hand. You can thank God that he's holding your hand if you're his. God said, I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That's in the book of Exodus, right? And particularly in Exodus 20, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Different ways that God relates to us as his people. Now, this is a reference to the old covenant, right? To Moses. And it's an agreement based on the commandments written on what? tablets or tables of stone verse 33 says but this is the covenant that i will make with the house of israel after those days declares the lord i will put my law where within them and i will write it on their hearts and i will be their god and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying know the lord for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. You can't separate the end of verse 34 from the new heart. In Exodus, excuse me, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, it says it in another place, but I think this was probably one of the easiest ones to remember. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27. It says, and I, God says, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Ain't that beautiful? God says, I'm going to do that. Is it Philippians 1 verse 6? God is all the while working in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, this verse is unprecedented. I mean, can you see how the old compares with the new with regards to tablets of stone written on the heart, heart of flesh? Old heart, new heart. So we have a, a, a new covenant, verse 7. Now, Verse 7, if the ministry of death, which is a code word, ministry of death, it's a code word for the law or the old covenant or the ministry which brings death or the law that highlighted sin that would be judged punishable by death. That's the ministry of death. 
if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, the Ten Commandments, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Here Paul compares the two covenants using the word glory. He'll actually mention this word glory 16 times in our text. Glory, it's a word that's hard to define. John Piper has a stab at it and he calls it the public demonstration of God's worth. The public demonstration of God's worth. If that's the old covenant and it was glorious, there was a public demonstration of God's worth, how much more than you? You ever seen Cecil B. DeMille's version of the Ten Commandments? Who, who stars in it again? Charlton Heston. Ten Commandments from 1956 or something. Ten Commandments, the movie. Well, there's a portion in it that's a snapshot of Exodus chapter 20, verse 16 through 20. And it's when God comes down on the mountain. Peak. And it is. It says, in the morning, one day, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai. And there was thunders and lightning. You know, some people are afraid of lightning. Before I become a Christian, anytime I used to hear thunder, like, is it thunder used to clap? Is it thunder clap? When I used to hear the thunder clap. Or you see, would you see the lightning first and then you'd hear the thunder? Or you hear the thunder and then you see. God, there's thunder and lightning and thick clouds on the mountain and there's a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp tremble. Tremble. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of an oven and the whole mountain trembled greatly. It says, and as the sound of the trumpet grew louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. I, can't, I was going to try and do I can't even try and do that. You just got to picture it. I mean... The people couldn't touch the mountain, let alone walk up it. I would say that on, on that day, God went public with who he is. It was a public demonstration of his worth. And after being in the presence of God, Moses' face began to shine. His face began to radiate light. To the point where Moses had to put a veil over his face in Exodus 34, verse 29 to 35. Now, the point of all this is that it was a big deal. Young people say nowadays about situations, you know, it's not that deep. I don't know if you ever heard that expression. I asked myself, I said, where did that come from? We weren't sure. But everybody used, it's not that deep, man. Calm down, man. It's a minor. And basically what they're doing is they're referring to something that's trivial. Now, yes it was, that is God coming down on a mountain. It was the opposite of, it's not that deep. It would be fair to say it was everything other than that. I can't think of a word for, that's opposite and equal. 
fucking people. It, now, if that was the old covenant, the inferior, the lower ranking, ancillary, the secondary, the subordinate, in comparison to the new covenant, if the old covenant was so glorious, verse 9 of our text, for if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. It just stands to reason. Notice the interchangeable terminology. Ministry of condemnation versus the ministry of righteousness. You see that? Verse 10. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all in comparison, if you like, because of the glory that surpasses it. Please tell me you can see the contrast between the two. Verse 11. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Now, don't get me wrong. The old covenant, yeah? I mean, as I've just described, it was holy. It was righteous. It was good. Romans chapter 7, verse 12. But Paul uses the analogy of the shining yet fading glow of Moses' face as a picture of the transitory nature of the law. Now, was that too much of a mouthful? Paul uses this analogy of Moses' face glowing but yet fading as an analogy. And it, and it, and it teaches us, a, it's, it's a picture of the law which will eventually fade to make place for something else. Verse 11, for if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Now, here we come to the heart of our message. Verse 12, since we have, what? Such a hope. We're very bold, says Paul. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Question, what does it mean to have an affected gaze or a defective, defected sight? What does that mean? Verse 14, but their minds were hardened. The original word is calloused. You know, like when you get a bunion. At one point, the, 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 the skin was soft and smooth and like them little girls up here. Their feet take off, when they take off their shoes, their feet are pretty. But you keep putting them in shoes every single day, day in, day out, especially if you know, some of you girls who work in the city and you've got to wear high heels. Oh, my God. Your shoes, your, your, your toes can only take that so much pressure. <laughs> you get me? And, and, for, and for us, like, man, who play football, very often, when we used to squeeze out, the thing, when I used to play football, I used to always wear two pairs of socks so that your, your foot can slip inside the boot and not get, um, what do you think, call them things that, like blisters, them things on your toes, right? So you used to slip. But you know you put a, a second set of socks on, especially like, like football socks, they're really thick. So then tutus, like the, the boots that used to feel fine, all of a sudden now, <laughs> they don't feel fine. Like you, you feel blind, right? And, and that's what happens to the skin when it gets 
begins to callous and it begins to get hard. And that's what this word here means, but it's not talking about the skin. What's it talking about? It's talking about the mind. I think some translations have the heart. Their, their minds were hardened. Question, what does it mean to have a hardened mind? You ever heard the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? Verse 14, but their minds were hardened for to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Now that's a gigantic statement. It's huge, I like him. Only through Christ is the veil taken away. Verse 15, yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over where? Their hearts. Question, what does it mean to have a veiled heart? Verse 16, now this is it, oh my goodness. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Um, verse 15, yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. I mean, there is the key. Like, da 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 you know that tune? Alright, help me sing it then. Linda. If I had the key to the word. Listen, this verse, yeah? This verse is the key to a whole new world. I could get into another, I could break into another song right there, right? This verse. Verse 16 is the key to real, lasting, ultimate change. In verse 16, we find, you're still singing that song in your mind, isn't it? In, ver in, ver in verse 16, we find the hope of change. That is for the unsaved person, as well as for the saved person. You may have an affected gaze or defective sight. You may have a mind that is fixed, like calloused, like hardened. You may have a, a veil over your heart. But verse 16 says, when you turn to the Lord. Verse 16 says, when you in that state. Turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. When you turn to the Lord, there is real hope of change. You may not be able to change your circumstances, but he can. Why not turn to him? 
Because it may not be your circumstances that actually need changing. For someone who is potentially under the condemnation of the law, though fading, they're not gone gone yet. The law, the Ten Commandments, they still stand and they have a purpose. And if you're someone who's potentially under the condemnation of the law, it still stands in judgment over the sinner, exposing your sinfulness. Remember, it's the ministry of condemnation. That's what it does. It condemns the guilty criminals. It's the ministry that brings death to those who choose not to turn to the Lord. Verse 17, now the the Lord is the spirit. The Lord is the spirit. Absolutely. Don't feel nervous. We need to know that the Father is Lord. The Lord said unto my Lord. The Father's Lord. Jesus the Son is Lord. I don't need to qualify that one, right? You know that. But, But you know what? You need to know that the spirit is Lord. This is actually a Trinitarian experience. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Another translation says liberty. And as we saw in verse 9, it's a freedom from condemnation. It's, It's freedom that comes through righteousness. Verse 18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are what? are being transformed. It might not be an encouragement to you, but it's an encouragement to me. Into, look, the same image from, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Remember First John said that when we see the Lord, what will happen? Thank you, Harry. We're going to look like him? Boy, I mean, I... I was going to say to some of you, boy, that's some big change. <laughs> but really, and I hesitated because I'm, I'm in the same group. Who do I pick? Isn't it? I mean, for us to look, we will be like him. I'm like, wow, Lord. As Christians, we are in the process of being changed into his likeness incrementally. I'm at... I'm out here trying to remind remind you about the wonderful promise of the sure hope of change. That's That's for you who have had the veil removed. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. How many of you know there are no chapter divisions in the original writing? This is one complete letter. So the chapter division will throw you. You think, oh, he's going to go on to say something different. It's actually related. Chapter 4, verse 1, Paul then continues to use the analogy of the veil in this next chapter and relates it to that which prevents an individual from seeing, from perceiving, from understanding the good news or the gospel. But it's not the Christian he refers to here, but the non-Christian who also needs to change, but in a different way. Listen as I read verse 3 to 5 of chapter 4. 
Paul says, and even if our gospel, that's the good news, remember, good news, you know, even if our gospel is veiled, the good news about Jesus and what he does in taking away sins and removing the ministry of condemnation that stands in judgment and replaces it with the ministry of reconciliation and righteousness. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing, to those who are unsaved. See, the good news, they can't see it. There's a veil in front of their eyes, in front, in front of their heart, and their minds are hardened to the truth of the gospel, the good news about salvation from sin and from eternal judgment and punishment. How many of you know that's not something you, you, you want to escape you? That's not something that you want to not be able to see. But it says here that that, that is exactly what's going on. Verse 4, in their case, the God of this world, which is a code word for who? The devil has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We're talking about seeing Jesus for who he really is. And I wish I had time. I'm going to ask the band to come and join me. <clears throat> and as they come to join me, I wonder if I could ask you to stand with me as we pray. Because I, I know if you sit there and you've already switched off like 10 minutes ago, maybe you standing will, will help you, will help me. As the band come, would you stand with me and pray? <clears throat> I'm going to read verse 5 and 6. But I'm just going to ask you just to close your eyes. And just try to concentrate for one more moment. <clears throat> verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. With ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you know that you've not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord, I know you might have been to church. I'm not talking about that. I know that you might have read some of the Bible. I'm not talking about that. You'd be like, but you know what? This is like the second time I've been to church this, this year. I mean, it might even be free because you might have went Easter last week, Christmas, and you're here today. I'm not talking about that talking about what I mentioned with regards to my friend who was on some pseudo-spiritual thing. I'm not talking about rituals. I'm not talking about being in a place where your head and your heart is completely disengaged apart from your body being present. I'm talking about surrender to Jesus 
understanding who he is. My prayer is that God has raised to some degree or just slightly moved the veil so that you might have had a little, a little peek into who God is and what he's done for you in Christ. My prayer is that you would have seen a glimpse of God coming down on the mountain in Exodus 20 in fire and thunder and loud noise and, and flames. And you might look and you might say, well, man, that, that sounds very impressive, but what I see here is not very impressive. That's because you don't. Only God can reveal that to you. And my prayer is that the Lord has done that to some degree, to some degree today, or maybe even started that, or maybe even watered that which has been planted in your heart. And I'm asking that you would reconsider surrendering, surrendering, and turning Christ as the only and ultimate option. Father, I pray, Lord, you who are the one who in Genesis commanded illumination, you said, let there be light. When there was no light, it was only darkness. I suspect you didn't even shout, you didn't even raise your voice, but you spoke, and there was light. Heavenly Father, we see from your word that Jesus is the public, visible demonstration of all that you are, all that God is, Jesus. And as we look at him, as we look at his face, as it were, in your word, we see your glory. We can't see him unless we can't see him unless we turn to him. Unless we turn to look at him. Lord, would, would you please work in us? Work in us also who have understood the implications of the new covenant and have had our hearts replaced. We've had a heart transplant. Lord, would you help us? Would you please work in us to help us want to do your good pleasure, Lord? Would you transform us by the power of your spirit and conform us to the image of Christ? Lord, would you write your law, Lord, on our hearts, allowing you to work from the inside out. In Jesus' name. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.